0: Hey guys, welcome back. BGC Care here. We're back with season 9, episode 50 of our weekly Q&A videos slash podcast. If you're on the video, you can check out the links in the description to access this on. See, I will always want to say all the major podcasting platforms, are but I don't all? know how many there are. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's some of the major podcasting platforms. It's like all the ones that I'm aware of,
1: uh, but I have no clue if there are more. How, and that, how does that relate to theory of mind? Cause part of me is thinking everybody should know what you're thinking because they can imagine who he, being you and then thinking, okay, so now I know the ones that he knows. It's like when yeah. somebody asks you, Oh, if, um, where do I know you from? Mm-hmm. Like it's an impossible kind you're, of question. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, so, cause the interesting thing is that the podcast app that I use is not the same. As these lists, but I can add our podcast because there's an RSS feed. So theoretically, any good podcast app should let you add directly from the RSS feed, even if it doesn't categorize it in its sort of search functionality. Right. Right. But it's interesting because apparently the different podcast apps act differently. And one thing that I heard from one podcast I listened to, um, Behind the Bastards with Robert Evans, is that there's actually um, people were having issues where they were hearing... Edits happen in different places. And so the actual audio file that was going out, there are parts that were supposed to have been cut or whatever else. And there was weird audio stuff happening. Right, right. Which is interesting because um, I don't know if, you know, their workflow involves them actually editing a podcast in sort of their RSS, right? And that the file is somehow uploaded and then modified
1: in the actual, like, feed. It seems like it's possible only because, you know, like, say you, when we upload a video to YouTube, there's editing... Yeah. Features I've never taken advantage of it because it always seems so cumbersome and it would take much longer. Yeah, It's interesting. And the other thing is that you can also do ads that like
0: update sort of in a smart way. So there's like you can sell somebody an ad campaign for For a time period. Yeah. It's only good for you. You can either sell them for like the next 10 episodes I do. I'm going to do that and they're in there forever. Or you can do it for the next month. I'm going to live edit your, you know, little clip of audio into all of my episodes. Right. So there's a lot about it that I don't really know right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. really get. But anyways, it's available on a lot of podcasting platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: So so this is the where we bounce off each other a little bit because you talk about s- sort of the podcast aspect and why it's good to listen to it and, yeah. and not that you need to sell it up because people have, were asking us for it. But uh, this is where I talk about the video a little bit to entice mm-hmm. you to come back to watch it. So I, I said last time, and it should be obvious, I've been trying to use the current challenge character in the background play video and it's made it it's sort of reinvigorated my joy of playing injustice in a way that Mm -hmm. wasn't there when i was just playing specific teams and trying to grind it's
0: a little bit of a thinking challenge right it's the fun part about it sure where there's a bit of planning and work and it's what we always talked about or not always but what we often talked about where the metagame of injustice the actual planning and thinking about it Yep. is where a lot of the fun comes in and you have to work a lot harder to find the fun
1: just in the playing right. by itself. So this is an interesting week because next week there's n- there's no um, character in multiplayer. It's only the challenge character. It is Raven. Yeah. And the current one is animated Batman Beyond. And I've got some footage here of both on the same team. Nice. And so I've said this before. Is that there's certain kind of, I mean, if you're thinking about it a little bit, it's very freeing not to be grinding anymore. Because once we got the team to the maximum, or not the maximum, the valorium alloy that was needed to do everything we needed to, we don't need more valorium alloy. So we're freed for a couple weeks. So if we wanted to play the, what's the, oh the phantom zone yeah tasks we can but if we don't we can just play with the different teams and so what's neat is it 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 didn't occur to me i mean i'm sure it occurred to me at some sort of visceral gut level yeah didn't occur to me i played it now raven when early in the game when you're fighting teams that are tougher and that outclass you by a lot yeah her passive literally changes the game Hmm. it gives you a chance to win fights that you have no right to win and so, for those who don't know, it's when her health drops enough, you swap health with the opponent. Yeah. So, when you're, the other team is that, that much better than you, way better than you. Yeah. Her passive is amazing. Mm. But when you're fighting a team that's about the same as you, and it's sort of a competitive fight otherwise, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to take advantage of her passive. Her passive, yeah. which is her best feature, doesn't really come into play much because you could just as easily do the damage to take their health down. Yeah. And, the time so that it takes a lot better of, in unbalanced fights. It's a lot better in an unbalanced fight where you're the, the underdog. Yeah.
0: It's a uh, balancing. It's a, uh, it brings you up. Oh gosh. It's the idea of positive versus negative feedback loops kind of where in games there is ideas of if you are good and you're playing well, yeah. you're awarded for positive play with better stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you just get better. You just get better in a snowball. So it's, it's the difference between online and offline play, where mm-hmm. online play is a positive feedback loop, where the better you play, you get more specials, and you're dealing more damage, and you're taking less damage. Right. So when you're playing better, everything is working sort oh. of all together to make it easier. Whereas in offline play, when you were dealing more basic damage, they yeah. are generating more power, yeah. and the okay. power is sort of a balancing factor that makes it easier for somebody to come back. Right. hmm
1: and it's the opposite of Batman Beyond's, not Batman Beyond, sorry, Blackest Night Batman's, where he does more damage. Yeah. The more, the less health somebody has. Mm-hmm. So it just gets faster. Mm-hmm. It gets easier. The weaker they get. This is the opposite. Yeah. It gets her passive is better. The stronger they are. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's like it. Oh. All right. So it's weird. So again, I'm sure that this is not earth shattering or just yeah. a revelation, but. If you are early to the game, the upcoming challenge for Raven should probably be the single most important thing. In my mind, I knew that intellectually, I knew that she was becoming less relevant to us, and I didn't enjoy putting her on teams. But it wasn't as clear why? It it just never occurred to me why. And I think maybe what I need to do now is to start... This is not the team, and this is not the way I'm playing it, but I should set up a team where I don't care about using her passive, and I should just... You know how you highlighting a, uh, a character; it's typically to just use them as a special specialist and yeah. give them attention to a master. Yeah, I should just do that. Yeah, because there's other characters I played without taking advantage of the passive. But I, I, the one thing that was keeping holding me back from this yeah. was my memory of her being so important when we first got her mm-hmm. and how good she is in Survivor. Yeah, to take down some of the late stage people who have like hundreds of thousands of health
0: you were anchored in your first perception of right that's why so this is like a psychology thing uh the the sort of first thing you're given there's an anchoring effect right where you're sort of setting up the range and so that's why when you're negotiating yes um, the first number you give somebody will change what they're willing to pay for a product right and so, if somebody else comes to you with a high initial offer, and that's why in so many of those, you talk about, um, you know, stores where haggling is really accepted, right? right? And they say, this is the price, but for you, this. That's why you can see something that's like 90% off, right? And you go, oh, mm. the price is supposed to be $200, mm. but I'm getting it for 20 bucks. And even if the, like, you only would have paid, you know, $15 for it if you hadn't seen the price tag, right? The right, 90% right. off matters. Um, And even if it's not believable, that's the interesting thing, is that even if the first number is ridiculous, if you give somebody a ridiculous number, I don't know how, like, out in the middle of nowhere, like, you know, like, this costs $3 billion or whatever, right? right? right. I'm sure there's some level where it doesn't work, but they've found that even when you give a number that is absolutely not reasonable, it still increases slightly, but noticeably, the amount that people are willing to pay for a thing. So you had this idea in your head of her being super... (laughs) ridiculously important and her passive being critical and everything else and it was justified at the yeah. time
1: it was totally
0: and so because that's the sort of your anchoring yeah. point in yeah. your head yeah. now when she's different you're still thinking about that initial anchor point point. Yeah. and so even if she better than you know a lot of other characters that you use the exact same way you don't want to use her that way because the anchoring point in your head is something different and right. she's already better than
1: you know whatever she'd be now to you right right yeah right. what's funny is that after playing her again more recently, one place where she really shines mm. is against another Raven Prime. Mm. Interesting. Oh, when you bring back down, and forth. You swap out all your health swaps, and I think you end up with nothing, or I can't remember, because it just it just whacks back and forth. I think if you get the Well, it depends down on who first, starts it, yeah. Yeah, then you can end up... Yeah, it, it's it was kind of ridiculous how fun it was, and it just totally neutralizes the opponent's Raven. That's a little goofy. It is. Yeah. So when I get to, to playing it some more. I think I'm going to try it and then swap out, but I'll tell you what else I've gotten a bit better, greater appreciation for. And I think my appreciation for her was already better than most people who do all those tier lists. Yeah? Hawk, girl. Mm. Hawk girl, Even if you don't need to swap out fast, you always benefit from being able to have the option when you need to. Mm. And because the cooldown period is so short, you almost always can swap out when you want. Mm-hmm. It's behind
0: just... behind every team that relies on people swapping in and out a lot there's a hawk
1: girl <laughs> yeah it is it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of spectacular and i think that people are just i this is going to be a maybe unpopular opinion mm-hmm. i think people are just getting it wrong if people have a tier list that does not have hawk girl at the top or yeah. near the top i think they're they're sort of selling her short.
0: she sets up other people for slam dunks and so yeah. she doesn't seem as good by herself but
1: yeah, yeah. There, I don't know that there's any other team passive that's nearly as powerful as that. Mm, okay. I mean, there's lots that are, or sorry, more powerful than that. Um, oh, I also want to point out just to anchor this in the time. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Yeah. Uh, if you celebrate it, it's a funny kind of holiday. Well, it's not religious, so it's saying If you celebrate it, I think. <laughs> well, no, because let's say you don't. Let's say you resent the idea that corporations yeah. have created mm-hmm. some event. In order to have you buy and sell more stuff, or yeah. sorry, buy more stuff, you're selling. Mm-hmm. Then, but if you if you take it in the in its sort of way, is just a, a chance to, you know, it's like yay Thursday, like just a yeah. chance to just it's a, celebrate. It's stuff.
0: a it's maybe as a reminder to be mindful and uh, put effort into
1: your relationships. Yeah, maybe uh, that's it. R- or romantic relationships. I think it can well- be. Well, because it's funny because when you say it like that, there's a pressure. I, I remember, all right, so I don't know if I yeah. told you the story about my mom, but way back in the day. Yeah. And, you know, it, Christmas comes around. Yeah. And we would have, we would just uh, give presents and stuff. We mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of money. So we would yeah. just do something that was, you know, in retrospect, was probably not great, but it was something. Mm-hmm. You'd make the effort. And my mom would say, oh, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, it, it, as long as you're uh, kind to me every day or good to me, yeah, yeah. And it was just, it felt like it was just such a mm-hmm. a crappy thing to say. In retrospect, sorry, yeah. mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I still remember that because that was just. It just felt. I knew it wasn't quite right at the time, but I yeah. couldn't figure out exactly why. And I know mm-hmm. why because it, it's just. Yeah. Anyways. That's that's a little funny.
0: It is. There was also my friend got an email marketing from Red Lobster and the ad copy was so ridiculous. It was a Valentine's day ad copy, yeah. but it was for like Galentine's day. Oh, um, that's like from parks and rec. Yeah. But also I think it's like good. It, it was a thing before that. And oh, was it? I, I don't, I think so. I don't know if parks I, and rec was the thing that popularized. I think Galentine's it was. It, that was a hilarious yeah.
1: thing. I think so. I don't know that it existed before that.
0: Well, you know, there's like a friends giving, and yeah. uh, Galentine's Day, but it was like a Galentine's Day thing where they're like, it's Lobster Fest, uh, and you know, come with your gal pals and like drink mimosas, and we have like a million lobster things, like get like you know, get your like uh, best like Galentine's outfit on, it's gonna be like a day like no other, and come down for unlimited cheddar beef treat yourself. And so, there was something um, incredible and very funny um, about them being like, happy Valentine's Day, come with your girlfriends to Red Lobster for biscuits, that felt so specific, um, and it felt a little like, you know, and I know that it's all arbitrary, right, it feels a little bit like how KFC in Japan managed to successfully brand themselves as the Christmas dinner.
1: Oh, you were telling me about that once, I remember that.
0: It's just a thing, like, KFC is like the Christmas meal in Japan, it's the traditional Christmas meal. I don't know if everybody I'm, well, I mean, I'm sure not everybody does it. But I don't know if everybody has bought into that, If right. how much of an adopt base it's gotten. But I know that it's talked about as like the sort of traditional thing there. Right. And so I just, <laughs> I, I find it very funny imagining Red Lobster, not even trying to necessarily corner the Valentine's market, but specifically the Galentine's market in their marketing. Right. And I wonder if it had something to do with sort of like the demographic information, like the age of the person who was showing me mm-hmm. the email mm-hmm. or what it was. But it was very funny to me. Right. That's funny. Anyways. Uh, so let's get into maybe our first comment of the oh, week. Can I do one oh, more thing? One more thing. I, I do one okay. thing. Just to ground it in. Okay. So I had so a cool. really
1: nice, I'm just very happy with this. So I'm all yeah. jazzed about it and I wanted to mention it. So yeah. there was a, a writer's sort of conversation interview that was coming yeah. up and I found out about it the day after it was announced oh. and the ticket sold out. I went to the site, mm. the ticket sold out. They yeah. said, you can go on a wait list. And I think, well, what's it going to hurt? I, I yeah. did not have high hopes for it. And then I I got an email saying, hey, you're off the wait list. Nice. Click on this link to get a ticket. Nice. And then I clicked on the link. This event is sold out. Oh. And it is no longer being, there's no, nothing more online. And uh, I, at the point I was thinking, man, it would have just been better never to have heard about it because yeah. I wouldn't be so, like that that low right after the high. Yeah. And then I, this is why I love the internet. So I reached out to one of the the organizers, moderators. Yeah. And she said, "Hold on, let me let me check on that." Yeah, and then hey, it's uh, try it again. It should be working, and it was. Ooh! So I am going to a reading that I've been looking forward to, and they're going to have a signing afterwards. I can get some books signed. It's been so long since I've done gone to one of these things, because I mean, you know, hey, pandemic, right? Yeah. But also, I just there weren't any events that I had been looking forward to for so long like that. So I'm just really jazzed that it, you know, the, the ups and downs, it was the, yeah, the, if I hadn't had the lows, it wouldn't feel so high mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really happy. About okay. That. Well,
0: I almost want to say congratulations. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, our, our first uh, comment this week comes from Cameron 107. And this is kind of the back and forth that we've been having. Uh, where we talk a little bit, at least a little bit
1: each week. So the context was, this is the next bit of the conversation about homelessness and how sympathy sometimes is contingent upon people being blameless. Or at least a conversation we'll have about
0: people is whether or not they deserve it. Yes. And so, and we talked about how, you know,
1: on a fundamental level, who cares? Right. Right. Because there's lots of other things where people aren't blameless that we're still able to not only have sympathy, but we're able to help them and willing to help them.
0: And so Cameron says, you're absolutely right. Even if you are in that situation because of your own doing, it shouldn't. and doesn't mean you deserve any less sympathy. I think I've just spent too much time talking to people who chalk it all up to a lack of personal responsibility that I instinctually try to argue that it's not their fault, even though it doesn't really matter, as you mentioned. And then finally, and thank you for the kind words, I find your conversations to be really thought-provoking, which is a big reason as to why I comment as much as I do. And so I want to start sort of the first thing, because I think this is like one of the things that's kind of like poisoning discourse in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. um, which is that it can be really hard to have conversations about stuff, Mm -hmm. because uh, especially when people are kind of more immersed in certain political spaces they learn these sort of techniques whether it's consciously or subconsciously Mm -hmm. for how to like quote-unquote like win or be better at like an argument right how to have an argument more effectively and a lot of cases you know what ends up happening and i you know with my positionality we are obviously a lot more uh both socially and economically progressive right Um, Sure, in North America,
1: relatively sure, relatively, and
0: I, I think also for in a lot of spaces, relatively speaking, I don't think I'm, you know, I'm not the most extreme left person, but that's sort of where my positionality is. And so I, when I think about sort of arguments, conversations, and debates, I think about the type of people who would want to have arguments, conversations, or debates with me. So Mm -hmm. my um experience of people doing stuff is mostly from people who are more socially or uh, economically. Right,
1: conservative, conservative,
0: yeah, yeah, and so there's these sort of conversations that you get stuck in, where stuff like the Gish Gallop, right, where you're just giving more right. information, you're saying all like, right, the so is, it's the facts, g- it's ideas, and for
1: the people who are listening, so I know this, the yeah. Gish Gallop is, it's a rhetorical technique where you give so many different disputable things, yeah, that it makes it overwhelmingly difficult to even address all of it because then there's the stuff that you don't address. It's not that they're right, it's that there's just not enough time to properly Yeah dispute that to show, hey, this is why this is untrue, this is untrue, this is untrue. Mm-hmm. And the it's the strategy is just to overwhelm your opponent with just so much junk. Yeah, and then when people
0: sort of leave that conversation and I think a lot of times these debates and conversations and arguments happen, um for sort of the personal satisfaction of the people having them, of feeling like they were right and that they yeah, won. Of winning. And then if they happen in a public forum, a lot of times, they happen for the benefit of people listening. Right. More okay. than for,
1: like, that, coming to a new conclusion. That, that, absolutely. That's a great point because a lot of times it's performative. Yeah. You're not doing it to convince the person you're arguing against. You're doing it for the people who are watching who might be potentially convinced Yeah, by the performance that you're giving. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you can sort of leave either thinking I said all of these things and you know, there's all these things that you didn't respond to. Right. So right. I keep all of these. If you didn't respond to them, then I can keep these as, you know, true in my heart that you yeah. didn't have a response to them. Or if, you know, somebody's walking away from it, it goes, you know, maybe, you know, you proved one or two of the things I said to be wrong, but some, this other person's head is full of facts, right. Or things that feel like information mm-hmm. and, if they believe, you know, one or two of them, then that's a win. I have put something in their head. If they say a lot of what they said was wrong, but I think this one, one thing might be right, <laughs> then that's still sort of moving the needle a little towards your side. Unless, right. you know, that person comes away from the conversation thinking you just look like, like a fool who's just spouting off right. like a bunch of random stuff. And so I think, you know, it can be really hard. And I think, you know, I'm not saying I'm immune to this either, right? I think right. on some level, when there's somebody, when I hear somebody... Who who is saying something that feels so obviously intrinsically wrong to me. Yeah. I don't really think I'm going to convince that person. Sometimes right. I just kind of want to have a fight with them. I like, go, oh, you're wrong though, right? Like, you're oh, so like wrong the, It's like though. the XKCD. It's, hey, it's time for bed. I can't. There's somebody wrong on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, where there's there's a certain sort of, like, there's a thing in my lizard brain, and I know it's yeah. not helpful to me. I'm not going to convince yeah. them. Yeah. I'm either going to feel bad about the conversation if I found yeah. it frustrating, or I'm yeah. going to feel good about it in, like, kind of, like, a not useful or in probably not a great way. I'm An gonna unhealthy, Like unhealthy, like a, like a, Like a moral superiority way where I'm like, yeah. I beat you. I proved that you were wrong, <laughs> even though the other person <laughs> walks away from that conversation going, that guy just talked too much, and I don't that guy's totally ridiculous, yeah. right? There's, and they're
1: even less likely to uh, endorse that opinion, like come around to that opinion because of their association with their interaction with you. Yeah, because
0: yeah. the the thing is that yeah. like I kind of, it's like that when we talk about that like righteous anger. Because yes. I think even if I'm right in that situation, it's unfortunate because you can still be a jerk, even if you're right, <laughs> right. And even if you're arguing for, you know, being more compassionate, even if you're arguing for supporting sort of your, your, your fellow person yeah right yeah you can still be a jerk when you're having yeah. that conversation that's true right um it's you, you can't you can't excuse anything because you know that person is arguing against like the rights of trans people and i'm arguing for the rights of trans people there's right. a clear moral high ground there but you know it doesn't mean that you can just say anything and you can just say screw
1: you and then you know right. whatever right. right and so i think there's something there's a principle that's more important than just winning right sometimes yeah if, if there is, if it's a really odious kind of opinion, yeah. whether it's something that's racist, something that's whatever kind of prejudice, yeah, there is a higher sort of moral mm-hmm. goal to actually convince mm-hmm. people so that our world can be a little bit more, be- uh, a little bit more tolerant, a little better place. Yeah. So, and you know that intellectually mm-hmm. in your, yeah. in your not lizard brain, mm-hmm. you know that, but
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and I will say that, you know, <laughs> I'm talking about myself in these conversations. If sure. there's like a trans person who's having a conversation <laughs> with somebody who is using rhetoric that is used to like dehumanize them, to strip them of right. their rights, that right. person is allowed to be as mad as they want. There's right. no sort of moral low ground for them just going off on that person. Right. Um. You know. Agreed. Totally agreed. Because I, I don't get to police, you know, when somebody is actively being harmed. somebody else in the rhetoric it's their
1: existence yeah whether it's it's a sexist or a racist when people are arguing a point that is literally yeah harmful and dangerous yeah to your life yeah then yeah it's not an argument anymore it's survival yeah that's like that's like kind of you're (laughs) you're in like uh you're getting
0: like abused right you're getting like attacked right right Right. and you're that can get your hackles up and back you into a corner and uh, and, you know even if somebody's trying to have a conversation on like intellectual grounds that is a lot more of like like yeah
1: there's a huge amount of privilege there you can have that conversation in theory yeah when some people it is a matter of survival yeah yeah. So, it's like, you know, when you're
0: when somebody's backed into a corner like that, I think it's a little sure. harder. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that that, you know, like a trans person in that situation can't just be angry right. and say stuff out of that anger. Right. Even if it doesn't accomplish anything, I think they're well within the right end. Right. Uh, uh, on a certain level, there's something to be said for just that feeling good, that yeah. righteous anger being a little worthwhile, if, if, yeah. if it, that's what you sort of need yeah. Yeah. in that moment. Oh, for sure. But my, my sort of larger point with this is that I think it's... Uh, unfortunate, right? So, like, Cameron's having this argument and the you you already have in your head, right? This is the type of person who's going to disagree with me. This is the argument that I need to make. This is right. sort of the way I need to be. And so, that like, the way that people, like, are kind of in your head a little bit, like, yeah. you're having a discussion on their terms
1: right. even when they're not there. Right, right. That's why I like to... I like to say, hey, I'm pro-abortion. Like, yeah. it's just... It's enough of a difference to maybe wake people, and I don't, the connotation of that's not great, of waking Mm -hmm. people up, but just really making people aware that that shift has happened, even if
0: they're not willing to come along with me to reframe it. Instead of having the conversation on somebody else's terms, when you are choosing what to say, having the conversation (laughs) on your own terms, and saying exactly what you mean and trying to be sort of comprehensive in what your stance is right and not in sort of this response that you're creating for um the type of person you imagine is going to have something to say to you right right Right. to follow up and so i think that's like one of those things is that like you uh it's that you know we talked about theory of mind right earlier in the episode sort of on an unrelated
1: thing uh it's funny you call it episode to me it's like a few minutes ago (laughs) yeah yeah just a few
0: minutes ago but it's the idea of you have, you've, there's this sort of like character in your head. There's this person right. you constructed and you're like, I know what this person is going to say to me. I know sort of it matters I'm, to them. Yeah. If I'm trying to convince somebody, <laughs> this is what I need to say to reach the person that I need to convince. And I think there's something really valuable about that. I think it is really important to have, <laughs> but it's also, uh, I think the problem is that in my opinion, at least the type of thing where you're saying, Oh, does this homeless person deserve it? D- right. Should we not help them because they deserve it is such yeah. a, is too f- extremely uncompassionate and too much of like a sort of like a morality test. So this, uh, yeah. Okay. For, for me okay. to like, I, I almost don't want to engage on that level because yes, yes. it makes me feel a little sad that you could look at somebody uh, and, you know, go,
1: I don't think they deserve decent, <laughs> Right, right. The, the reason w- why I, it was interesting, when you first started, when you first responded yeah. to this, I did not know where you are going. Mm-hmm. And I, in my mind, when I was looking at that question, I focused on a different part of it. The part that struck me as the most interesting was the the lack, that part where it says um, talking to people who chalk it all up to lack of personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, that's where the the shift in the conversation happens or the failure happens yeah. if you allow that to pass. Cause the the need for personal responsibility for everything without acknowledging all the people that have contributed yeah. to your current position, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. is it's a weird sort of short sightedness. Yeah. Because <clears throat> whether you're talking about people who are I'm going to do air quotes right now, self-made millionaires or whatever. What they're ignoring is that all that tax money that went into creating the communication systems and the transportation systems and whatever else it was that made your business possible, that the subsidized education that gave you or your workers Mm -hmm. the, um, the intellectual training or the skills training or Mm -hmm. whatever that got you to the point, like, You rely on a functioning society so that there are not marauders Mm -hmm. at your door ready to steal whatever you made. I don't know, it's just funny. Like if I feel like that's a big part of the cancer that if you could just remove that kind of framing from the discussions that you have would make everything so much more Mm. like you're saying, compassionate, empathetic and more reasonable because Yeah, it's like a it's a very like Western
0: individualistic (laughs) way of thinking about stuff. And I think for a lot of people, um, like myself included, it's an easier way of thinking about stuff.
1: Right. It's the the idea that there's like a just universe. Everybody wants that. They want stuff to make sense so that they're not as vulnerable to the vagaries and the randomness of of stuff that can happen to you.
0: But it also, it it sort of compresses the possibilities based on the number of variables you need to influence uh, and, and think about. And so it was I it was interesting I had a conversation with a friend recently and they said I think the way that you talk I used to think that you were really um, sort of wary of uh, planning or thinking about the future because a lot of times they would like you know ask me like oh like what do you think you're going to be doing in, in this time mm-hmm. you know like, uh, <laughs> do you want to, like, do this one day? And I'll go, you know, do you think you're going to do this? And I would just always be like, I have no clue, right? Mm. And sort of in my own head, I was like, you know, I know how many weird, tiny things, like, you know, the fact that when I was in middle school, I sat next to somebody who played this game. Right, and I watched right. them play, and they let me play a couple rounds. Is it injustice? Yeah, injustice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if but if I sat in a different <laughs> desk, or if I didn't talk to them so much, right. And part of the reason neither why neither of us would have played. Yeah. It. You know, part of the reason why I talked to them is one of like my friends at the time right. uh was had like a crush on them and they were like, you know, good friends and so like they were sort of like a secondary uh right. social relationship. So when right. I was in this class, you know, it right. made more sense to sit next to somebody who I already kind of knew right. than somebody I didn't know. And so there's all these like sort of little things, and I say that, you know, happened this many years ago and it changed so many things about, right. you know, right. what my weekly schedule looks like now. Right. right. And something that stayed consistent when my weekly schedule has changed in every other facet. Right. 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 Like this is one of the things that has been most consistent when most other things have been in flux.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: And so the fact that that was caused by something so small, if you if I try to extrapolate that out, I don't know what's going to happen in the next two years. Right. That's going to totally change the um, sort of course of my life so that, you know, <laughs> me saying anything about like what I think I'm going to be doing five years from now right. is... Uh, a guess, right? You know, right. Our, our best like mathematical models can't predict the weather for more than a week. Why do I think I'm going to be able to predict the course of my life for, for like, you know, more than a couple of years. Um,
1: So this is, that's, have you heard about the idea of the singularity? Yeah. So to me, I'm going to screw up the explanation, but the part that I always took away from it was that there is potentially some event that can happen beyond which is going to be impossible to predict it because it's going to have such a far reaching and such a fundamental, sort of um, destabilizing effect yeah. for how we understand the world and what's possible, that it's sort of an event in our future, that makes any time after it unpredictable. Yeah. This is like, you're talking about the singularity on such a, a, a micro scale. But everybody has little singularities. Yeah, the yeah, singularity happens to you every couple of years. <laughs> so one thing that's interesting, and I want to address this because I think it comes up a lot, at least in the conversations I have with yeah. people, is that when you acknowledge that there's a lot of stuff that's random, when you acknowledge yeah. that there's a lot of stuff out of your control, when you acknowledge that the universe is not just mm-hmm. and that things happen, not because... Yeah. People deserve it, but just because it happens, that it's there's the potential for um, despair yeah. of feeling like, well, I've got no control over it. What's the point of even trying? Mm-hmm. And I think the to me, the opposite is true, that when there is an element yeah. that is out of your control, then the strategy should be, mm-hmm. so there's this part that is in my control. I'm going to yeah. control the heck out of it. I'm going to do as much as I can to make sure that this part that is under my control that's my responsibility i'm gonna make sure that i do as best as i can Mm -hmm. that that part is done right Mm -hmm. and if anything it gives me sort of motivation to make sure that i take care of this stuff because there's going to be so much more that's out of my control Mm -hmm. yeah yeah interesting
0: so before we move on i want to say one last thing um i everything that we're talking about now, singularity and sort of predicting stuff in the future. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about sort of how I feel about AI for a while now. Right. Uh, and I have complicated feelings about it that I don't think are suited for the amount of time that we have left. Right. Okay. I don't know exactly how I feel about it. I haven't really worked through it, but there, I watched a really sort of exceptional video uh, from the YouTuber Tom Scott recently called I tried using AI. It scared me. Yeah. Um, and I like his opinion a lot I again I I I watched it recently and like I think it's important to even when there are people that you really tend (laughs) to like the opinions of and agree with broadly like Tom Mm -hmm. Scott to like sort of think critically about how you feel about sort of information and and takes and opinions that they share yeah uh critically before I say too much about it so I will say that it felt very uh emotionally instantly appealing to me Mm -hmm. and I really liked I've heard a lot of opinions about AI and I, a lot of them have felt really sort of capitalistic, sensationalized, sort of like tech broy to me. Right. And this one felt really balanced and interesting and cool. And so Tom Scott, it's, it's I tried using AI, it scared me is the name of the video. Right. And I think it's really worth watching. And he kind of talks about that same thing where um, about technology development being on a curve, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's an introduction of a new technology. There's a huge amount, like in a huge explosion of its utility and usefulness uh, when I think it comes big this. enough. Okay, yeah, I think and I then it me. levels off at some point. And the thing that his sort of... Sometimes it takes a swing in the
1: opposite direction before it comes back up yeah, and levels but off. But sort
0: of his overarching thesis is that he doesn't know where we are in the curve with AI. And so that's right. why it's sort of scary. There's this unknown, right? We might be near the end of what it could be. And we might be near the start. We might be in the middle and all those mean very different things for what the future is right, going to look like, right, right? Um, based off of the sort of the future utility of these tools. Um, right. and I think that, uh, one of the reasons why I like that opinion so much is because there's, I think there's a lot of people when you talk about tech and you talk about things like singularity, um, about looking towards the future and prognosticating, predicting mm. one reality. And so a lot of the people talking about AI right now are talking about sort of the one reality where it can replace most human labor, where it's going to do all of these things, where we know that we're on the path now to that. And so I think why I really like Tom Scott's opinion is because it's a fundamentally couched one. It's one that's fundamentally based off of the fact that we don't know what the future will hold. And it can acknowledge the potential of the future without... Um, taking it for granted or taking it as inevitable, right? Uh, And it is based off of sort of a healthy dose of um, belief in the potential of this technology with like sort of skepticism um, and waiting to see what actually happens instead of just making these sort of really wild grand predictions about what definitely is going to happen, like the future that we are going to be moving into. And so I think that that also sort of helped me think about how You know, with these conversations that, you know, I just talked about having with like my friend about being able to predict the future, how I like to think about the world in the future. And I think it can, I think I'm the type of person who fundamentally wants to view things with both uh, hope and positivity, hopefully, but then also a healthy amount of sort of skepticism, but also just awareness of the limitations of sort of my brain as like a machine to predict the future. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm Uh, as like an imperfect machine or even if I have plans and goals and wants that I think are achievable that's different from being there and you know having a goal for something is
1: not the same as knowing that it's going to happen right yeah I mean the the cliche is you you hope for the best and prepare for the worst that that sort of captures a little bit of that yeah the broadness of the possibilities Mm -hmm. yeah so I don't even know we got really off topic here but (laughs) I guess so. I feel like it's sort of really on point. It was, a, it was a good comment. And I think it touches on so many different things that we were trying to at least maybe try to wrap our heads around. a little. Yeah. And I guess
0: if there's, there's one tip, I, I think I've also had conversations with some of my friends recently, where we've had conversations about politics and things. And I uh, have felt at least a little bit less pressure to be correct. You know, especially it's Mm. easy when you're sharing opinions with your friends and people who you inherently have trust with where you can share an opinion and there is sort of like the the layered um, levels of like how right you need to be. Or if you're like sharing an opinion on social media, I want to be pretty confident that I have done my research and thought about it, and that I've worked through my thoughts before I say something for the first time. That's why here, you know, I I will try to say, I need to think about this more. I don't know. I I try not to make sort of big, conclusive statements about stuff that I haven't had time to percolate, because I'm putting this out into the world, even if it's not associated with my name. Uh, And then you sort of can step down layers to, you know, the and at the sort of lowest level, is people who you are close enough with that you can be really wrong about something. And you can even say some things that might be uh, potentially damaging, like bad things, right, right. You can, you can have thoughts or opinions or beliefs that are kind of crappy mm-hmm. um, and you can work through them with that person right? and be wrong and have your mind change and stuff. And so I think that that's, uh, and you know, with the conversation we had talking about like, you know, personal responsibility and everything, I think yeah. that's something that's really important and uh i think we should collectively as like people work Mm. on being willing to be wrong and having our minds changed Mm. even in slightly scarier higher pressure contexts higher stakes and that we should be willing to sort of share our positionality and our stance openly and then be told that we're wrong and be wrong and uh learn and grow from it because i think for a lot of people i i know you know I feel like sometimes I don't have as strong opinions about something until like we talk about it for this podcast and I, it helps
1: coalesce and crystallize how I actually feel. Uh, It helps temper it. Yeah. I like that idea because it's like a sword that you're beating into, you're putting under heat yeah, and you're tempering it by, is that the word, is it maybe that's not even the right word, but in my mind I connect it where you're beating it and you're, you're hardening it and then you're cooling it and then heating it and you're just sort of shaping it
0: yeah. and so I think you know that sort of that whole issue that we've been talking about and around about mm-hmm. like other people sort of having arguments to win, yeah, I think yeah. we we would all do a lot better if we come with a to conversation with a little bit of intellectual humility and being more willing to be wrong. And I think some people are very willing to be wrong. I'm saying this because this is something I know I need to do. um mm. and I am hoping that I am not uh, alone in this and that yeah. I'm not just the worst person at admitting I'm wrong. Uh, and so yeah. I am, I don't think you are. I'm I, trying to apply it broadly. I'm trying to say this is something yeah. everyone needs to do. Uh, but really what I mean is this is something
1: that I need to do. And I think at least some other people need to do. I I, I had a, a very close conversation to this with somebody at work yeah. just like the other day. Mm. And it is exactly the same stuff because it makes such a huge difference and the, I guess the bigger thing is, besides just being wrong, the idea is really being open. Yeah. Ideas. Mm-hmm. And you, I guess you don't even have to be wrong. It's just being open to new ideas. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, to not be at your final opinion, to not have yeah. all the information that you need already in your head.
1: And, and this applies perfectly. We were talking about Raven. This mm. is... I, I I feel like it's all the same kind of stuff. Yeah. I think this is a perfect place to end it. And we've okay. actually been... We've been talking for a while. This is not a short episode mm-hmm. already. Okay,
0: so yeah, to finish up, uh, we'd like to give some shout outs out. Uh, I forgot to write this one for Eliza, so I'm gonna say a shout out to Eliza. She's wrong sometime, katen Um, we all are. Uh, yeah. incorrect sometimes. <laughs> uh, and but she just gets to have that in her
1: name. Yeah, as her nickname for yeah. today, for
0: this week. Kind of, I just kind of want to be uh, be a jerk about it you're wrong sometimes. Anyways, whatever. Uh we'd also like to give Maybe, it might be wrong right now I too. I might be wrong about that. Maybe she's never wrong. I'd like to give uh we'd also like to give a huge thank you to our patrons who are potentially wrong sometimes but definitely not wrong about the decision to support us. <laughs> well, that's good. Nice. Uh yeah. That was smooth. I, I'm really I'm selling it. That's, that, that's you could a... you could make the right choice and give us money today.
1: <laughs> uh a huge thank you to Corey Ashcraft supporting us at the top tier last word and Michael DeVries, Irvin Ruiz, Hoshi127 and Drew Chapman supporting us on the credit level and all the generous people who have been giving us support during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for your support. Thanks so much to all of you for watching. We'll see you next
0: time. Komoda. Komoda.